I love weddings. Perhaps you've heard the story of the bride and the groom on their wedding day. The groom looks down and he looks at the length of the church and he sees his bride. He's sure that she'll never change. The bride sees her groom standing at the front and she's sure that he will change. Both are wrong. You would think this was World Marriage Day, but it's Respect Life Sunday. That's okay. They're linked together. The readings draw us deep into the heart of the mystery of salvation. We find here it's not good for the man to be alone. They recognize this from the very beginning. The Pharisees saw this too. They recognized the goodness of creation, that man was made for woman. But they were seeing marriage as one track and religion as another. They saw them as separate things. And Jesus brought them both together under one roof. Jesus challenged their thinking. He actually quotes Moses against Moses because they all attributed all first five books of the Bible to Moses. So he's quoting Genesis against Exodus and the permission to, to divorce one's wife. So he's quoting Moses against Moses. That shocked them all right there. But what he's really done is he's, he's drawn marriage and religion onto one track. Not parallel tracks, but the same track. He's calling us to recognize this. We find here that the original man experienced an intense loneliness. He was called to name all of the animals. None of them proved to be a suitable partner. And only when he recognized his loneliness, that the world was not enough, only then did God prepare the suitable mate. And he cries out, this one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is part of the great mystery of God's creation and the way that he's made us. So we find here then, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Pope John Paul wrote about this. He wrote about this cleaving, and he says, it constitutes marriage as a central part of the sacrament of creation. Now, this is very significant. He's drawing this together as the sacrament of creation. Remember now, he says, in creation, God speaks to us. In creation, God reveals himself. In creation, God reveals his plan. In other words, the way that he's made us reveals his will. We call it the natural law. It's the way that he's made things to be. And when we follow the plan, we're happy. When we break the plan, we're unhappy. In other words, we didn't just slither up out of the mud. God is a creator. He's a father. He reveals himself. He reveals his plan. When we open ourselves to the plan, we begin to see how he wants to bless us. We see the path we ought to walk on. John Paul goes on, marriage is an integral part, I would say, the central point of the sacrament of creation. Now again, you remember that a sacrament is an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. He intends to give us grace through marriage. He intends to reveal his plan through marriage. He intends to save us through this marriage. So creation and marriage are intimately connected together as marriage is a co-creation between the cleaving man and woman and the triune God. In accepting the gift of the other, man and woman are given a profound wholeness. That's something to be pondered. The wholeness that comes. Do you ever have the experience that by marriage, you're part of something bigger than yourself? You're part of some great mystery. Something more is going on in your marriage than two people simply walking the same path. You're part of something bigger than yourself. You're sharing in the divine life of God. You're sharing life with children. You're part of something of enormous consequence. Scientists can't measure it. There's no meter that checks this out. It's a spiritual realm. 
You're part of a divine plan. You're given meaning to your life. All of this is the way that God has made us. The very creative nature of marriage acknowledges God's act of creation, his overflowing love and his plan for humanity, a plan modeled in this sacrament of marriage. Again, this primordial sacrament is the sign and the revealing of, the, of a mystery of infinite value, the gift of divine life. And John Paul goes on to say it reveals the Trinitarian life. The love between the first two persons of the Blessed Trinity is the third person. And so marriage is modeled on the Trinity. Something wonderful is happening here. Now the theology of the body shows the goodness and the blessedness of sexuality and of marriage. The complementarity of the bodies, complementarity of the psyches, complementarity of the roles of husband and wife. They're not the same. And we delight to see the goodness of our bodies, of human love, of the communion of the two in one. The same scriptures that point out this beauty contain within them also proscriptions, things that ought not to be done. So we recognize by these same scriptures that marriage can only be between a man and a woman. Regardless of the blindness of our current society, man, marriage can only be between a man and a woman. The only place for sex is in marriage, sealed by the promise, because the depth of the sharing and the possibility of new life. There should be no divorce. What God has joined together, let no one divide. That's what Jesus points out. God joined them together, not just dumb luck, not just human will. God joined together. And this is fascinating because it's by that promise that God enters in. And the same thing happens whether there's warm feelings or not. You know, maybe half the world has still been living with arranged marriages that weren't begun by romance. And yet they were sealed by a promise and God entered in with his grace. Something for us to note. Now, let's look at this beautiful plan of salvation that God has given us that's really primed for marriage. Christ and his bride, the church, the love of husband and wife, this is the plan of salvation. If I were the devil and wanted to overthrow God's creation, if I wanted to establish my own kingdom apart from God, overthrowing marriage would be job number one. It's that significant. It's that important. Jesus summons us to faith, to the challenge of living as it was in the beginning, we now live in the time of the fig leaves, the time after the fall. But by grace, by the sacraments, by his teaching, by our own acts of self-denial, we begin to live in the redemption, to live as it was in the beginning. We know the truth of how we were made. And by the power of the sacraments and prayer and self-denial, we struggle to live as it was in the beginning. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom. What God has joined together, man must not divide. Notice there's two standards here. Man's view is based on the changing world and the comfort is first. God's view is based on permanence, even if it means hardships. Man's view is based on self-seeking and pursuit of fulfillment, even if it means divorce. God's view is based on self-sacrifice, even if it means suffering. God's view calls for total self-gift. We give ourselves to one another lifelong. We give ourselves to one another in total fidelity. We give ourselves to one another in openness to new life. The world's view is just the opposite. The world's view is based on divorce. The world divorces love from commitment by trial marriages, cohabitation, hooking up, no-fault divorce. All of these things are parts of the great divorce. The world divorces love from fidelity by pornography or prostitution and infidelities. The world divorces love from life by contraception separating these two, which from the very beginning, God meant to be one. And contraception, by the way, is the key. 
It's the key of the giant culture change that we're now experiencing, seeing all around us. And just so we understand, we cannot rebuild a culture. We cannot rebuild the church with contraception as the new baseline. It can't work. It's not life-giving. It's founded upon a separation of love and life. It can't work. The results of the tragic worldviews of marriage, all of this has led to terrible divorce, terrible loneliness, even the decline of marriage itself. The number of marriage, the marriage rate has plummeted. Perhaps 60% of the children now live at one point in their lives with a one-parent family. Children are starved for affection, starved for affirmation, starved for discipline. Remember, men are made, not born. We need two parents. They love differently. Faith and religious values are not being passed on, and the Christian, Christian culture is not being passed on. We all want the benefit of the doubt. What we need is the benefit of certainty. That's what God gives us. Many people think today that the gender is infinitely plastic, that we can choose any gender that we want. It's all around us right now. We find boys want to claim to be girls. Girls want to be boys. Remember, the chromosomes that you got at conception, they're with you your whole life long. If you're a boy, you're a boy forever. If you're a girl, you're a girl forever. Plastic surgery, the deformation of our bodies, can't change reality. Those chromosomes identify who you really are, not your imagination, not your mind, your body, your genetics, how God made you. And the farther we drift from who God made us to be, the more emotionally troubled we're going to be. So watch out for this. It's all around us. People think you can create reality out of your own mind. We harm children when we don't give clear signals about gender, helping them to attain a strong gender identification. Fathers and mothers parent differently. That's why we need moms and dads. I don't actually even like the word parenting. We're mothering and fathering. We, we love differently. Our expectations are different. The way that we act is different. We're really not the same. We're not interchangeable at all. That's why we need a mom and a dad. The real obstacle to living out Jesus' teaching is our attitude. The world believes that complete happiness is attainable in this life, defined in terms of pleasure and power and wealth. The Christian knows no one person will ever be able to satisfy us completely. Our infinite longing for happiness can only be attained in the next life. Only God can satisfy our hearts. The Christian knows there's no perfect people. There's only works in progress. So the problem is we don't trust God's plan. We don't trust that God will take care of us if we follow him. They will, in fact, do so in a magnificent way. Even so, to open oneself to love is to open oneself to suffering. It's the cross. To insulate oneself from suffering is to never know love. Love is strong as death. Relentless as the netherworld is devotion. We always show great sympathy for the divorced. Nobody ever wants to be divorced. Half the people didn't choose to be. Yet our attitude has to be that divorce is not an option. Jesus challenged the Pharisees' attitude towards divorce. He said, you're not judging by God's standards, but by man's. Now is the time to turn that around. Now is the time to rebuild our culture around Christian marriage. Now is the time to learn to trust God, to see how he made things in the beginning.